You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about how to play the game of business to build stronger, more innovative, and more inspiring organizations. So stay tuned for a very, very interesting discussion. Simon Sinek's book, The Infinite Game, is probably one of the books that most has influenced me over the last years. I recommended it to many, many other people and it completely changed the view on the business that we are in. Actually, on all the businesses that we are in. And today I'm talking with Stuart about that and I hope you will get the same aha moments that I got while reading the book. And of course, head over to the show notes to find the link to the book. Simon Sinek is an awesome author and he is so nice in, time, in terms of telling these stories, giving examples and making it so crystal clear what he's talking about. Great book, easy to read and I can highly recommend it. Surely because I'm doing a podcast episode about it. So, if you want to learn more from me, join the LinkedIn group, The Effective Statistician, and follow me on LinkedIn, where I'm providing much more content beyond this podcast. This podcast is produced in association with PSI, a community dedicating to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. The reduced rates is just £20 annually for non-high-income countries and only £95 for high-income countries. So really, really yeah, cheap, so to say. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. Today I'm talking with Stuart about how to play the game of business to build stronger, more innovative and more inspiring organizations. Hi Stuart, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, good to be here. Yeah, it's one of the three Veramat episodes that I'm recording together with Veramat. And so you'll see that there's a lot of talking about building great businesses. Also in the interviews that I did with uh, Matt and Emma Jones, the founders of Veramat. And that is another kind of angle today on it. We are talking specifically about a book written by Simon Simnek, uh, The Infinite Game. And so let's start with what that actually means. In infinite games, yeah, so, so what we all know are the finite games, yeah, like football or chess yeah. or all these kind of different things. And the characteristic of these finite games are that the players are known for football, or, well, 
if you're in the US, it's soccer. So there's 11 players per, per team and they're all clearly identifiable. The rules are fixed. Everybody obeys to the rules. And if they break the rules, they uh, accept the fines for it. The endpoint is, is clear. It's a 90-minute game plus extra time. And whoever scored more is uh, the winner. And it's very, very clear who wins and who loses. And everybody has the same, same goals. In infinite games, that's very, very different. For example, business or politics or life itself or your career. These kind of things are don't follow the same rules. So the players, for example, come and go. They're maybe not even clearly identifiable who really belongs to this game of business who plays another part who partly plays in it the rules are ever changing yeah so the, of course we have laws that we all need to apply to but, but these are very very general things and the rules how we run business can change all the time and most importantly maybe there's no defined endpoint Although we may have fiscal years and things like that, there's nothing like, okay, we reach May 31st and whoever is, you know, best on set metric is declared the winner. There's no such thing as winners and losers here. It's only who is ahead and who is behind. And that is kind of changing all the time. So the goal is here not so much winning and losing, but staying in the game and continuing the game. That's just really the background of these finite and uh, infinite games that we, that we talk about. However, in our kind of business speak, we very often talk about competing in the marketplace. Stuart, what do you think? Where's this term coming from? Well, I, I think, thank you, um, Alexander. I think, first of all, I, I think it's worth to acknowledge that um, I'm currently sitting in my office uh, at home after 14 days of lockdown uh, due, to, <laughs> due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And myself, like a, a number of people across Britain, really restricted in their movement, have um, really adopted to, to working from home um, and we're also looking um, at Europe, who, who probably are a little bit further advanced in the pandemic, and also maybe looking at the, the US, who, who might be a little bit behind and um, further down the curve. So we talk at a very interesting time. And a few months ago, when we didn't have the pandemic, you introduced me to the book, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And I have to say, it is quite transformational as a book. It really makes you think in a very different way. And although there's lots of case studies and so on, which are very prescriptive and, and, and have clear, makes you think on a day-to-day -day basis, not just about business, also about your, your life as well. So we'll come on to that a little bit later, I think. But I think competing in the marketplace, for me, is in many businesses, we try to create really good um, uh, philosophy and concepts and for people to really get behind the vision and understand our vision. But still, we're measured in much smaller, finite measuring blocks, whether it be weekly goals, uh, monthly sales targets, quarterly reviews, um, annual share uh, postings. 
So these things are, are very finite and working to those finite mechanisms um, can be sometimes a, a real distraction from the business, actually getting the business done. But also your, your question um, about the marketplace, we work in the pharmaceutical arena. There's lots and lots of competition of surface companies, uh, some very big, uh, some very small, and uh, some what we sort of call the, the Goldilocks, some in the middle. And we are all competing for work from pharmaceutical and biotech companies, but sometimes uh, in a very different way. And I think really understanding the infinite game, the long, long, long term can be very helpful in business because um, you're really setting yourself in, in a place that's above all. So if you really are looking very long term successes, not just the quick wins and goals, then you set yourself up to be um, much more healing, I think. We can talk about that a little bit more. Um, but also when you consider the marketplace, I think it's worth considering your opponents, the people that you compete against. And um, certainly Simon uh, in his book talks about worthy opponents. And I think we all measure ourselves um, as individuals, uh, how successful we are. But as companies, we're constantly being measured against some of those big, big companies that have got lots of market share. And we're also compared against the small companies. Um, we're, we looked at what value we're adding, what type of um, quality, what type of expertise we have, what type of geography uh, we cover. So there's all these sort of different measures that, that people ultimately desire. And you're, you're measured typically against your opponents. Um, and it's very rare that you are just sort of taken in isolation of the company yourself. Yep. The interesting thing is, if you're measured against anybody else, that other company might look at completely different key performance indicators. So it's important for you yourself to be clear on are these, what is the goal for these KPIs? It's maybe not the goal to say we are the best in it, but we want to improve on these things because that will help us move forward. It's not about winning about these other players in the marketplace. It's about learning from them and using them as a motivation to become better. Because nobody will declare winning over what other company you're ever looking into. Maybe you can do that for yourself and can fake it, so to say, but that doesn't help your clients, that doesn't help your customers, that doesn't help uh, the patients that we are all serving. So I think it's really important to have a good perspective on that, what you're really, why you're putting these KPI in place, why you're looking into these um, worthy rivals to that's a, you know, not something you can win against. It's something you can learn from and use as an inspiration and, and a motivation. And of course, I think one of the interesting things also is if, if we look into some marketplace, are these really always the, the big ones that are the worthy rivals? Or wouldn't it make sense to also maybe look into more of the smaller ones? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the measures that we have and the, sort of the publicly available information, API, that you sort of allude to, 
I think sometimes these companies are, you know, consider themselves uh, successful. And when you think, look at things like profits, EBITDA, you start looking at sort of um, backlog, um, the amount of business you've won, um, and some of these like uh, big ticket items. Um, but actually in infinite setting, things like customer satisfaction scoring, uh, how, how well they value as, uh, as a partner, how your um, staff are rating you as a company, what sort of measures are you putting in place to lower carbon footprint? What sort of measures are you putting to be a, a social and responsible employer? Those sorts of measures aren't always, or KPIs aren't always at the top of people's lists. And I think that that has been a bit of a sort of a game changer for me. But yeah, certainly having come from a, a very large um, organization to a what is called a, a medium-sized company, with sort of the measures that you're trying to compete in, you can almost sort of self-define those a little bit more in collaboration with, with your sponsors. But more importantly, I think is that worthy opponent is looking at who does things well who's really making a difference in the market who's innovating who's making these big changes that are adding true value and where can we emulate those in certain ways but where can we also do our own things which are different and, and can add value so instead of just looking at the the week-to-week goals which are important you still need to have a framework for business but having your old ultimate overarching uh, vision and goals i think is what is way more important yeah just as an example in terms of looking to worthy rivals if you look into you know just just the big ones that try to do the same business again and again or you know succeed in terms of scale that's one strategy another strategy could be to just offer much better service and try to find much more innovative ways to help the sponsors by, you know, not redoing every demographic table again and again and seeing every table as, you know, a unique product that you do once and then you forget about the code and next time you do a demographic table, you reprogram everything again. Mm. Maybe there's a more effective and more interesting way to do these kind of things. And... um But if you're kind of stuck in this contracting where you pay per table, then there's no incentive in terms of moving away from this kind of model. So I would think that at some point there's probably one company coming and I would say it's likely not a very, very big one that will offer, okay, here's a system how you can run all your tables much faster and you can just buy the system and then you don't need to you know pay per table it may be a bigger chunk of money initially but very very fast you can have a much bigger return on investment there because you have a smart system to deliver insights rather than yeah, just a system where it's easy to count tables and to charge per table. Mm. So just as an example where thinking about market share and profit and things like this is maybe not so much helpful, but thinking about customer satisfaction and 
creating value and putting yourselves in the shoes of the customers provides you very, very different options and very, very different ways to operate. And I think also with all the interactive visualizations that we we are developing, I've just seen the announcement of Roche and Novartis working together on visualizations um, all based in R rather than in SaaS. These disruptions will completely change our business model. And if you're trying to just compete in terms of money and and prolonging your business model, and I think that is a representative for a finite mindset, where you just try to win on short-term goals. Absolutely. And and I think what runs through the book in in a very um, elegant way is trust. And I, and I say that because mm-hmm. I untangle um, some of the points you've made is that in a business, you have a certain number of people who are, you know, working and the, the ones who are working in a finite way are going, taking the pay and enjoying their job. They're doing, they're doing fine. And then the ones that are in, in a sort of infinite way, and Simon talks about this in, in his book, love their job and really are, are passionate and want the, the company to succeed. And I say that because innovation isn't doesn't happen at the board level. It doesn't happen by the, the executives in the company. It happens with people bringing ideas forward, bringing things that they think, hey, I think this could be um, quite applicable to the, the company. How can we float this idea? Maybe if we change this system, maybe if we move from um, this language to this language, we can deliver this. And having a, uh, a company that listens across the business to the, the, the people who are joining in, in a sort of a new capacity, people who have been there for a long time, see how things could be done differently, is really one that is setting themselves up for future innovation and change. And I think that trust also extends not just from the people, but also if you're in a service company from um, the sponsor company, from either the biotech or the pharma company saying, hey, we want this done in R, how are you set up? And you really have to start, okay, thinking about those sort of intricacies. And that's a trust thing. And you really have to sort of let that be the be the pillar that you work from. So, and then when you <laughs> falling out of the, the trust thing, then you have to also be a little bit brave and a little bit risky, and understand you know some of the risks inherent in doing things that are new and having change, um, but also being brave enough to implement them and to um, to take them through the business. Completely agree with that. I, I'm just thinking of an example where coming back to this pay per table versus pay uh, by the yeah. hour. If you pay by the hour, of course, you need to have much more trust that this hour is spent really, really useful. The service provider that charges against these hours is making the most of this hour and not kind of wasting it. And so it puts a lot more, let's say, responsibility to the individuals. And it requires a lot of trust from both sides that on one hand, the, the, the sponsor will not kind of make 
ridiculous demands in terms of, oh, you need to provide all this in these number of hours, but also on the uh, CRO side to not overspend and just waste a lot of time there. And so that is an example where it's much more kind of based on trust, on long-term relationship. It's it's not based on, okay, we want to get this kind of business or we want to get this uh, KPIs in place in the next three weeks. It's about building uh, systems and building relationships so that in the long term you can win on these topics. And that's just one example where I think, you know, it's very clear from what is an infinite game and what is a finite game. But I also think, Alexander, the, um, you and um, and I work in a, in a very technical, intelligent, sophisticated space. And people yep. need to have uh, time to think, consider, review. We're not just making bottles and um, having a, a definite <laughs> number that you, you say, right, these are... Um, 30,000 bottles that we're producing, the, these things that we are doing, it, you kind of get a, properly get a, a one on shot time uh, to do this. It's very important. Timelines are always very precious. Quality has to be absolutely spot on. And these things sometimes need to be allowed to sort of fluctuate and change. And I'm sure there's some things that you do in your work that you think, right, I can turn this around very quickly and then uh, I can meet my friend for lunch. And there's other jobs that you think, right, I need to really give myself time uh, to think about it. And when you're in a service company, trying to quantify those into discrete units is challenging, which is why we get things like out of scopes and so on. Um, I think at Verimed, we're very good at really um, trusting our, our people, really understanding um, that they need you know the right amount of time to, to deliver. But there's always that trade-off when you when you speak with a, a sponsor company of their expectation of the amount of time something should take and then the real amount of time it should take. And then you have an extra layer which is procurement and outsourcing uh, and they have a vision of how long something uh, should take and, and, and the time frame. Yeah, I think you you need to balance that. Of course, it helps to have good frameworks that you can work through. But I think um, when something goes astray and doesn't work as planned, there's two kind of approaches you can have to it. One is, I would say, is the process-oriented approach. Mm -hmm. So you put more processes in place, you put more checks in place, you put more KPIs in place, you put more documentation in place, all these kind of things that you put in place to assure that you don't have that failure again or this mistake again. And I think that is sometimes helpful, but mostly it's overdone. And it just creates more paperwork. It creates more bureaucracy, yeah, uh, bureaucracy and red tape. And that, for me, speaks to a very kind of untrusty relationship where you only, you know, trust things if if it's three times documented and it's everything is in in very much detailed laid down in in the process. Yeah. I think the other way to think about that is the people-oriented way. So what do we need to do from a people perspective to make sure that these mistakes 
don't happen again. Do we need to train more? Do we need to build better trust? Do we need to open communication channels? Do we need to put mentoring in place? Do we need to have more face-to-face -face meetings? Do we need to do other things that help to improve trust so that people speak up early when, when things go south? So, and I think that is also speaks much more to a kind of infinite mindset where you want to win in the long term. So you put things in place that are robust because it's, it's people based and it's not so much only process, process, KPI, KPI, KPI based. I, agreed. Uh, and, and I think we are in a place where generally, uh, I'd say, you know, across my career, I'd say in the high, high percentage, people join this industry that we're in because they want to cure cancer or ulcerative colitis or dementia. They, they, they really are passionate about the company succeeding and the medicine getting to market and benefiting an area of unmet need. So in our industry, people are generally motivated because they want to make the place, make the world a better place. People don't want to make mistakes. They don't want, you know, generally people do not want to yep. make mistakes. And we have to create environments that allow people to make mistakes in an unthreatening way. So when they do this, it's supported um, they, they get to learn from it. They think, oh, I won't do that again and correct and uh, understand what that they did. Um, and having an environment which covers all those sort of points you made about sort of, you know, good line management, good support, um, good systems and processes and so forth. And that is setting the company up for an infinite game, really to be able to um, support and nurture its, its colleagues. I think this really all starts in the interview room. I, I think getting the right people in your company who have technical expertise, the, the passion uh, to, uh, to make a difference, um, but also to be able to work in a way which um, shares and supports others in a framework to make the whole environment successful, not just individual um, situations or, or topics, it, it is really powerful. And that, that I think, is the ultimate measure of, of success in, in, in a team and a company. Yeah, I completely agree. Having the right people with, with being passionate about what we are doing. I think the in terms of developing medicine, I think I really realized that When I once had a discussion with my, at that time, five-year-old son, <laughs> and he was asking me, Daddy, what do you do at work? <laughs> How do you explain someone that, you know, I haven't even learned basic rules of math, what, what you do as a statistician? <laughs> so I said, you know, Daddy works in a company that helps sick people getting healthy again. Yeah. And that really boiled it down for me when I formulated that. And it was such an important moment for me that defined for me very, very clearly what I'm doing. And so that speaks to the passion that we want to see in people uh, in our teams. The other passions I want to see is being passionate on the, on the technical yeah. side. Yeah, so that people are passionate about doing the best 
statistics, doing the best methodology and making the best use of our data to get everything out that we need, communicate the data in the best possible way using good visualizations, these type of things. I want to have people that are also passionate about that. And it's maybe a little bit easier to find because usually we study something that we are passionate about. So if, if people have studied statistics and usually they're also passionate about that, but it's nurturing this passion and making sure that people have the opportunity to master that, to become better at it, to apply new techniques and try these things out. And that also speaks to allowing them to fail, so mm. to say. Yeah, because maybe you try something new out and, and it doesn't work. Yeah, so you want to try a new data mining technique and it doesn't lead to any anything else, that, you know, or it doesn't work for whatever the reason these the sample size is not big enough or whatever. And uh, you have invested a couple of hours or maybe some days to, to explore that and you didn't get anything out of it. Yeah. So there's, of course, you could, you know, if you're this KPI and table focused uh, organization, then you haven't produced anything here. Yeah. So, so you can't charge for that and it's, it's, it's seen as waste. But if you're more in the, relationship, trust, long-term view, you can say, okay, we learned from it, we applied it, and next time we know better. Or next time we know, okay, these are the problems where this type of methodology does work and here are the things where it doesn't work. Yeah, so, And if you're in this infinite mindset, you want to you know, play for the long, long game, then these learnings are very, very vital. If you're just looking into making your numbers for the months, then, well, you've just wasted a lot of time, which uh, you have a hard time explaining to your sponsor. Mm -hmm. So, no, to your, to your line manager. So that's just another example of I how in an infinite mindset, you, you know, you have much more kind of emphasis on the innovation. And, and Simon looks at um, innovation uh, quite a lot in, in, in his book uh, and also in his, um, his talks on, online. And one of the, the stories that really hit me was about how innovative Kodak cameras were when they first came in. And they were very, you know, mm. really sort of revolutionary people taking pictures and so on. And then when the digital market um, opened up and they just saw that as a threat and not as something to embrace and really try to, to quash it. And then Kodak, you know, really ultimately failed and, and, and lost their, their market position completely to, to, to um, digital pictures. And, you know, that story really sort of resonated that, you know, when things come in, to our market when things are really transformational these seismic things that come through and whether we embrace them and say right how do we adapt how do we make this work within our organization or whether we see it as a threat and try to hide under our desks you know and, and I thought that was very very telling and I think he, he littered his book with a number of different examples from um, Apple to Microsoft and IBM and really insightful 
Um, but yeah, we have to, and it, it goes back to this trust and risk. We, we have to be open and be able to have failure uh, in order to, to overcome and succeed those situations. Yeah, I was just reading another book by the CEO of um, uh, of Disney, who wrote a book, I think, The Ride of a Lifetime, about his tenure of being a CEO for at Disney for 15 years. And he also speaks about kind of this disruption in terms of everything that has going on in media in terms of, you know, 20 years ago, it was TV and it was, you know, you go to the cinema and maybe you had DVD at the time and things like that. But, but now everything is about streaming. It's about online and being willing to let go of your traditional business and invest in something completely new mm -hmm. and, you know, build it from within is really takes a lot of courage. Yeah, it takes a lot of risk, but it has this long-term view in mind and not just kind of these quarterly goals that, uh, you know, Wall Street may, may look out for. And then it's about communicating that effectively so that people see your longer-term vision, understand why you sacrifice short-term wins for uh, long-term investments. Yeah. And yeah, coming back to the Kodak story, the irony about it is was that Kodak had a lot of the technology <laughs> of digital cameras and digital things in-house. Mm -hmm. They could have been the market leader in it, but as it was a threat to their short-term business and their traditional business model, they feared stepping into it. And what what do we see in our companies that you know that is disrupting us? Yeah. So, so what do we see in our companies? Kind of the data science movement and these kind of things. Do we just kind of yeah ban that and you know try to say all kind of the bad things about it, or do we embrace that uh, new way of thinking? Do we embrace this these people that come with a very very different mindset? Do we learn from them? Do we incorporate them into our organization? I think that's that's for me one of these seismic shifts that's happening at the moment, and yeah, we can ignore it or we can you know poo-poo about it or we can you know embrace it and make it work for us as well so alexander i am I, um, i wonder actually if you and i want to have a spin-off podcast where we do book reviews because um I, I, <laughs> i was uh i after the infinite game i read um and greatly enjoyed um matthew syed's rebel ideas And I don't know if you've come across yeah. this book, but it really talks about cognitive diversity and yeah. getting people together who think differently. And this book is just jam-packed full of examples where like-minded people work together and ultimately fail. Whereas if you get a pool of people who think very differently, challenge each other challenge each other's thoughts then real change and uh, real innovation uh, can come and i have to say this book <laughs> together with the infinite game has kind of turned my world upside down a little bit because you know i i think there's a, a categorization is i think it's pale stale and male and you know, 
<laughs> like <laughs> you look at a number of, sort of boardrooms and it's like wow you know so um and i i've really found myself being very challenged to try to make sure that you know i embrace um other people's um ideas philosophies concepts into my way of uh, thinking too and it, it's not been easy you know these things are are challenges but ultimately when you're presented with true innovation or an opportunity to change then you have to have a much more open mindset and to be willing to be challenged so yeah i put i put that on your uh, on your book list rebel ideas <laughs> it's actually already on my kindle <laughs> So yeah, so it's it's for sure something we can talk about in the future. But it's it absolutely agree. It speaks, for example, to this, you know, data science versus statistics. If you if you hire just from the same two or three universities and the same two or three professors that's it, all the time, yeah, and you only go for okay, we only want to have don't know, PhD in statistics, mm. and we only want to have people that are trained in clinical trials, and we only want to have people that have experience in SARS and whatsoever. You get the same people again and again and again and again, but it speaks exactly to the point. You don't get diversity in terms of mindset. You don't get, you don't foster out of the box thinking. You don't foster that, you know, the status quo is challenged. And I completely agree with you on, on that one. So that's probably an episode for the future. <laughs> Thanks, so much. <laughs> Thanks so much, Stuart. Uh, talking today about the infinite game, I think that helped us to better understand how we can grow in the long term, that we think differently about what it means winning, that we put KPIs in perspective in terms of what do we really want to achieve and to think about what is our passion, our passion for quality statistics, our passion for creating value for patients. These are re the really, really important topics that we have uh, should think about. So thanks so much for the interesting discussion. And yeah, probably watch out for another episode on, on some further books. <laughs> Thank you very much, Alexander. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show note in the background. And thank you for listening. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And if you found the episode today interesting, tell your colleagues about it. Then you can all learn about what it means to play the infinite game at work, to be more successful at work, to be more impactful, inspiring and plays a long game rather than to try to win short-term victories that are actually fake victories. So tell your colleagues about this podcast. Like always, reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Mm -hmm.